Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Intermittent fasting for the female runner. If you'd like to use fasting but struggle to introduce it alongside your running plan, listen in and we hope to help you find easy ways to add fasting to your daily life. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Karen, and I'm here once again with Aileen. And as usual, we'll start with sharing something personal about our running or nutrition. So Aileen, today we're going to be talking about intermittent fasting for the female runner. So thinking about that, is this something that you have tried? And if so, what was your experience of it? Yeah, I've tried it a few times, Karen. Hello, everybody. And uh, yeah, intermittent fasting is something that um, I've tried in various different ways. So uh, personally, I've had limited success with the 5-2 approach. And we are going to talk through these different approaches today. Uh, what's worked best for me is time-restrictive eating, which um, so I've been following the 16-8 approach. Um, and I've, I've done this with clients as well. So I've got a few insights. Um, what I tend to find is that men seem to find the 5-2 approach easier than women. Um, so that's interesting. Mm. Um, and yeah, from a running point of view, it does give its challenges. So I wouldn't say I do it 100% of the time, but there are ways in which you can overcome um, fitting in uh, fasting if with your running plan. Um, so we'll hopefully we'll be able to help people with that today. Uh, and how about you, Karen? Is it something you've tried? Yes, it is, Aileen. But, but like you were saying, sort of linking it around training um, makes it quite difficult. So I've tried it, but it's not something I do consistently. In fact, probably quite infrequent just because of the amount of training that I'm doing so so when I do use it it tends to be when I'm just having a rest for running for whatever reason or if I if I'm resting because of injury and then I'll tend to sort of think about okay I don't need to be eating the same amount of of 
of food as I do when I'm training. And also it's a, it's an opportunity to just sort of give my body a bit of a, a rest. So I find it quite helpful then. And when I do use it, as you say, Aileen, there are so many different approaches to intermittent fasting that we'll be discussing later. But the one that suits my lifestyle tends to be the 16 and 8 that you're just speaking about where you're eating within that eight hour window with sort of the 16 hours without food and and again because of my lifestyle I tend to use that window um, of 11 o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock at night that just seems to suit the family um, and their and our eating routines generally so that's that's my approach to it. So, but this leads nicely into the topic. And like we were saying, um, it is about intermittent fasting for the female runner. And interestingly, you know, fasting has been used for centuries for health, for religious reasons, and also cultural reasons. But in more recent years, probably for the past 10 to 15 years, we've become aware of fasting as a way of, um, more of of a way of promoting good health, longevity as well, so to help us age well, and also for weight loss. And as we've just said, there are so many different fasting approaches that it can be difficult to know if fasting would be health promoting for for you as an individual and if it would actually help you as a runner. So with that in mind, we're today we're going to be talking um, about and or, uh, sort of thinking about it initially as an overview of the different fasting approaches and their potential health benefits. We'll then go on and look at the pros and cons of fasting for the female runner and then sort of finally look at some tips on how you could integrate a fasting food plan approach with your running training. So lots to get through, as always. So Aileen, just to start off with, um, can you just say how you would describe fasting? Yeah, well, I mean, it's really quite simple. It's Fasting means eating at certain times and allowing the body to have rest periods during the fasting times. Um, so as you said, you know, fasting has been used over the centuries for lots of different reasons. Um, and it really just involves abstinence from food, um, either from parts of the day or parts of the week. Um, but as you said, in recent years, we've sort of started to regard it more as a, as an intervention to promote good health. Um, so it's sort of a more popular thing to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, Ellie. Yeah. That, that, no, that's fine, Karen. Yeah, sorry. So, so, so just sort of thinking about that and the, the health benefits of intermittent fasting, what, what would you say they are? Well, I think the, probably the most well-known health benefits would be for promoting weight loss. And I think most people would consider doing fasting to help with their body composition and to, uh, to lose weight. Um, there's also been a lot of research around um, fasting, um, helping reduce the risk of things like type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease, and in some cases, actually helping to reverse type 2 diabetes. So I'm sure people will be aware of the various different um, programs that are advertised to, uh, you know, encourage people to to use fasting for that reason. Um, also, for promoting um, what we call metabolic health. Um, so that there is um, a sort of a, a syndrome known as metabolic syndrome, and that really is a syndrome where people are maybe experiencing a few different metabolic disorders. So it can be things like 
diabetes, cardiovascular disease, um, high blood pressure, obesity, all of these would be known as metabolic conditions, um, high cholesterol, that kind of thing. So um, fasting can help in all of those areas. So, if, you know, if you do have uh, metabolic syndrome, it, again, it's another tool that you might want to consider using. Um, and then also impro- improving energy levels. So, you know, I know people who, you know, have tried fasting and they've been, you know, they've done it initially because they wanted to reduce weight, but they're saying, oh, I've got an amazing amount of energy and I'm actually brain sharper, you know, and things that much more clarity. So there's, there's lots of benefits around it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say that, you know, it it appears that there are so many different health benefits or potential health benefits to, um, to, to fasting, intermittent fasting, but it's about finding the right approach for you as an individual. So with that in mind, could you give us an overview of, of the different fasting approaches? Yeah, there's a few different approaches. And I think this is where people get confused because it's like, well, <laughs> what approach is the right approach? Um, and I think every approach is, is different for different people. So um, understanding what they are and then getting some help to choose the right approach is probably uh, the way to go. But in, you know, to summarize it, I would say that the fasting approaches fall into three different categories. So, uh, one of the first one is what we would call intermittent calorie restriction. So that's where you're reducing the amount of calories that you intake and you would do that intermittently. So, um, not all the time. And then there's also something called alternate day fasting. So that would be where you would eat normally one day and then you would have a day where that either you didn't eat anything at all or you would go into this um, much lower calorie restriction uh, band. And then the third category is what is known as time-restricted feeding or time-restricted eating. So that's sort of an interchangeable term. And then just to um, complicate it all, um, there are hybrid versions. So you might want to do intermittent calorie restriction and add in a time frame window, a bit like the 16-8 that you mentioned earlier um so it is a quite a personalized approach and i i I would just say to everybody you know you don't have to do one or the other you can create a hybrid version uh, to suit your um your own particular needs and that might be something that you need professional advice on doing but you know it's, it's entirely possible um so just to go into a little bit more detail of the kinds of um different types of fasting within those categories. Would that be helpful, Karen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay. So I think most people, certainly in the UK, would have become aware of um, intermittent calorie restriction um, when the 5-2 food plan was um, revealed to us. And, And I remember this quite a few years ago. Um, There was a BBC Horizon document and it featured people who um, were on this sort of 5-2 approach, although I don't think they actually called it 5-2 at that time. Um, it was subsequently um, developed by um, Dr. Michael Mosley. He wrote a book and I think he described it as a 5-2 food plan. Um, and basically uh, what you do is you you eat five to 600 calories on two days of the week and you eat um, your normal energy intake um, on the other five days. And you can either 
do two two fasting days together or you can split it up you know it's entirely up to you and I remember when that came out I knew people that did it and had really great success and I know other people that didn't have such great success and and I think it came down to the people that ate healthily every day so they were eating good quality healthy food even on the days that they weren't fasting got better results than the people who used it as a, I can eat anything on the days that are normal. So they they would eat, you know, low calories on two days of the week and then they would just gorge themselves on whatever they Mm -hmm. wanted on the other days and that maybe didn't give them such good results. Um, So that 5-2 approach, um, as I said earlier, in my my clinic, what I've discovered is that – you know, and this is just anecdotal related to my clients, is that men seem to be able to adapt to the 5-2 easily and women don't. And I think it's a hormonal link. I think people, women particularly need to balance the blood sugar and it's not so easy to do that if they really restrict the calories on two days of the week. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas I've I've discovered that men seem to find it easier. Um, And that's why having these different approaches is good because you can choose one that suits you. Um, But what what another um, aspect of this intermittent um, calorie restriction is that the 5-2 has been sort of remodeled recently, I would say maybe in the last 12 months or so, into something called the Fast 800. And, And it's, again, an approach that's been designed by Michael Mosley um, based on various dis- different research and, and his experience. And he, what he's advocating now is that um, if you eat 800 calories every day consistently um, for you know up to 12 weeks, you can achieve your ideal body composition. Um, so some people can achieve that earlier and some people it might be a little bit later you know it might be longer than 12 weeks but 12 weeks is deemed to be a safe period to eat 800 calories and it seems to be more manageable than um living on the 500 600 calories so um although you're not actually um it's not intermittent fasting it is a calorie restriction plan and it's fasting in that you are um you know, eating a lot less. Uh, and usually with that approach, he would advocate adding in this time restrictive eating so that you would um, have a, a fasting window each day. And those two things combined together uh, seem to be giving people really good results, particularly those who've got type 2 diabetes. Um, so that's an interesting one. Mm. Um, and then if we think about the alternate day fasting, um, that's where you would eat your normal energy requirements. Now, Karen and I, we talk about this a lot, don't we, Karen, about eating what your energy requirements are and basing mm-hmm. that on your resting metabolic rate plus your activity factor. Um, so it's making sure you're eating enough um, for your bodily functions and whatever your activity is. Mm-hmm. So you do that one day and then the next day you would drop um, down to 25% of your energy requirements. So an example of that would be, um, say you, you, you were, we calculated that you needed 2000 calories a day, but on the days that you were fasting, you dropped to 500 calories and you would do that alternate days. And I think the benefit of doing it alternate days is that you, you get longer fasting windows. Um, and that gives you a more of a benefit, um, 
So I don't know if that's something you've ever tried, Karen. Is it? No, it's not at all, actually. Mm. No, in fact, I'm I'm finding all of this really fascinating, Aileen, because I know you know I've tried it um, myself, but it's not something I use very much with clients. So I'm I'm mm. learning a lot, which is great as well. So carry on, because yeah. I believe there are some others. Yeah, well, the final one is this time-restrictive feeding. So that, as we've already described, involves fasting during a set number of hours each day and eating during the remainder of the daily hours. So, um, you know, I think for good health, we would always advocate that people um, don't eat for 12 hours between dinner and breakfast, and that allows your digestive system to properly digest your food and then go into the sort of rest and repair cycle um, that, that you require. And so that's just good basic foundational advice. Um, and, you know, it works quite well for people who, you know, maybe they have to eat dinner late, but then they have breakfast late the next day. So that that's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the – to have the sort of time-restrictive um, eating benefits, um, you should be aiming for the 16-8 that you – mentioned or maybe you would like to crunch it down a bit more so you could do 18 hours of not eating six hours of eating and some people even do the 20 hours of not eating and four hours of eating um but probably the 16 8 is the easiest to implement and you you said 11 till 11 till 7 did you say yeah Yeah. and I tend to do most days I'll do 10 till 6 today actually it's going to be more like 11 till 7 because that's just the way life worked out today I was I was able to have a later breakfast and and I didn't need it sometimes it's like at 10 o'clock it's like I'm I'm really ready for it and I need to eat now so it varies um so that that's the sort of overview of the different approaches um, and what what I'm picking up here Aileen, you know, you're saying that the time-restricted eating, you can do 16, 8, 18, 6, 24. 24 seems really restricted, I have to say. It's a long mm. time without food for me. Um, but it just, it, it, it also sounds as though some of these could be adapted, like you say, you sort of producing a mm. hybrid of some of this that would suit your, the individual lifestyle. Mm. Would that be right? Yeah, and I, I just yeah. another thing that's popped into my head there, Karen, when, when mm. we're thinking about the time-restricted uh, feeding, um, you're not necessarily reducing your energy intake of calories on that plan. Um, you know, so you, you, you sort of naturally, just because you're not grazing and snacking at other times, you, you gradually, um, start to eat a little bit less. Mm. Um, but it's not where you, you know, that approach is probably better suited to people that haven't got weight to lose, but mm. they're just trying to get the body composition benefits. Um, and trying to get the other health benefits. So, um, you know, it, it's definitely something worth um, thinking about. Yeah, definitely. And I think possibly that one might also be one of the better approaches for people in training because they can yeah. work it around, around their training. And I know that we're going to speak about that in more depth later. Yeah. So, Eileen, you were saying that you use this approach um, or some of these approaches um, with your clients. And I'm just wondering what health benefits you've seen from um, your clients following a, a, a fasting program. Yeah, well, we've covered some of them already, but mostly the positive changes are in body composition. So they might lose weight or more crucially, they might lose fat. Um, So, you know, as as runners, we're always trying to get a leaner body. And so if we can reduce fat and increase muscle, then that's good. 
Um, and also people will notice they've got more even energy levels or higher energy, which again, as a runner, we're always wanting to feel full of energy when we go out the door and we want to sustain that energy, um, you know, during our, our training. Um, people have also said that they think their sleep is better and they recover better after endurance exercise. So it's sort of a lot of it's anecdotal uh, rather than being research based. But, you know, if, if you an as an individual could get any of these benefits, I'm sure you'd be pretty pleased. Um, what the other thing just to sort of bear in mind, it's it's difficult to associate all of these benefits just solely to fasting because it might be that these people just uh, are actually eating a better quality food plan. The food might have a higher nutrition status. And also, you know, they, they might be focusing more on balancing the blood sugar and all of those things will contribute to the results that, that you're getting from just having a healthy food plan as well as following a fasting program. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to raise, Aileen, that, that yes, the, the, the intermittent fasting or the fasting is supporting it, but it's not just about the fasting. It's about um, the additional approaches to eating and the food choices that go along with that. Mm. Um, so, so thinking about um, these approaches, can you say a little bit about how these eating approaches work to give the health benefits you've discussed? Yeah, sure. So if we start about thinking about what happens when we eat food. So when we eat food, the food is digested um, and then it's broken down um, into sort of molecules of, of um, you know, different types of food. And it's either used for immediate energy requirements. Um, and if there's any excess, it's stored in our bodies for future energy requirements. So, and then it's used um, you know, if we need energy in between meals, or it's also used to the build and repair functions in the body. So there's some of it that's used quickly and some of it is stored away. So that's the sort of the basic concept. And then in between meals or overnight when we don't eat, the opposite process happens. So whatever energy the body requires uh, for whatever purpose, it's got to be drawn from the body stores. So, you know, we've got to remember that you know, just because we're lying in bed and we're not being active, um, the body's still doing lots of stuff. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's doing all this, um, rest and repair. And, uh, you know, there's a lot going on. And, and obviously we're still breathing and blood's still pumping and all of these sort of things are happening. And um, so our body requires energy to do that. So, um, we're not eating food during that period of time. So the body has to draw, uh, from our stores. And initially, it, it's taking glycogen from the liver, and then it might be taken from the fat cells, and it's made into energy. And um, this is sometimes described as the point of negative energy balance. And that's really when the liver glycogen stores are depleted, and then the fatty, acid, fatty acids are mobilized. And that typically happens after 12 hours of um, ceasing to eat. So this is why, you know, when you get into that 16-hour fasting window, things start to happen. Mm. Um, and and that's why, you know, if you did the alternate fasting and you are, you know, widening that window, uh, there's more opportunity for this to happen. Um, so one, I read somewhere somebody describing it as, you know, if you think of, um, you know, the energy in the... Um, you know, the liver glycogen, that's like probably the 
the cash, the cash that you've got in your wallet that you can use when you need it. And then the energy from the fat cells is you've got to go to the bank and draw it out. So that's quite a nice mm-hmm. analogy to yeah, think I like about. That. Um, so obviously the longer a period we're in a fasted state when we're not eating, that's when we'll start utilizing the stored fat for energy. Um, and there, there seems to be, you know, during these fasting periods, there's other metabolic changes, uh, which happen. So things like insulin levels, um, drop inflammation uh, decreases uh, and there's also uh, an increase in human growth hormone which promotes muscle growth and has anti-aging effects so you know these are all things that are happening without us realizing um, but just by changing the body's biochemistry I, I think that's what you know a nice way of describing it again you know the, the environment of body is changing and, and it's doing different things that we maybe don't allow it to do when we're in this constant state of feeding ourselves. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really um, great for for our listeners to hear because we know what's what to eat, and we we sort of consider these these different types of fasting. But what actually is going on? How and what way is it supporting our health and longevity? To see, so to hear all of this can really support. I think people engaging with with the fasting and and knowing how it's benefiting them internally. And like you say, this is all going on inside without us actually being aware. So so that's great information. And so so looking at the different approaches again, Aileen, because there are numerous types of approaches, how would um, somebody decide which one of these approaches would be right for them or if one of these approaches would be mm. right for them? Yeah, well, I'd really advise people to think about what the health goal is and why they think fasting would help them. Because I think sometimes people think it's a magic bullet, um, you know, and it's it's a simple concept to follow. And I think that's why it appeals to people. It's like, yeah, I, I can work to a timetable and I don't have to worry too much about what I'm doing. And so, I'll, yeah, I'll have a go at that. Um, and, you know, there is a lot of evidence to suggest it's supportive, as we've already mentioned. But, you know, if somebody, um, if I had a new client, the first thing I would say is I'd be checking are the nutrition basics in place? And if they're not, I would get those in place first. So, you know, all the things that we, we talk about, um, you know, in, in all of our work, Karen, we're always talking about getting the basics in place, having a healthy plate, being well hydrated, balancing blood sugar, all of those things are really, really important. And then once that's all in place and everything's on an even keel, then I would choose an approach that fits with your lifestyle and your health goal. So, you know, I had a client uh, recently who was already fasting and it had been working, but then suddenly it stopped working. And, um, I actually advised him to, you know, not fast because he, he, he had a lot of stress going on and the fasting was adding to that stress load. Um, and so for him, it was better to, um, you know, get back to basics. And then when things are in a good position, then we would choose how to introduce the fasting to get the goal, you know, the health goal that he wanted. Um, so if we look at different sort of scenarios, um, so I think if somebody's got a metabolic health condition, so, you know, like type 2 diabetes, for example, or 
they require weight loss, then I think one of the calorie restriction approaches would be appropriate. So either the 5-2 or the, um, you know, the FAST 800 um, might be appropriate uh, and probably combining that with a fasting window. Um, so that would be, you know, a way of choosing. So if your health goal is to reverse type 2 diabetes or you're trying to prevent getting diabetes or you need to lose weight, that's the way I would go. But if you were somebody who was more, um, your goal was more body composition and energy related, um, so you haven't got a lot of excess weight to lose, but maybe uh, you'd like your fat percentage to drop, for instance, or you're feeling very tired, then probably going for the the time-restricted eating without a calorie restriction would be best. Um, so does that does that help clarify? Yeah, help yeah absolutely. And I think it's it's clear that there are lots of situations where fasting may be really supportive, but you alluded to the fact that for some people it might not be, you know, if people haven't got their basic nutrition in place, it, it's not going to be supportive. You said you had your client who was suffering from stress so you two can back off of it for a period of time because it wasn't working. Are there any other situations where you wouldn't recommend fasting as a as an approach? Yeah, I mean, certainly it's it's for adults. It's not for the under 18s. Um, if you're pregnant or trying to conceive, um, I would avoid it. If you're underweight or struggle to gain weight, it, it's not for you. Um or if you had a BMI under 18 or have maybe experienced either an eating disorder or disordered eating, I would encourage you not to go down the fasting route because it's not, it's not going to support you um, in your health goals if you're in any of those categories. Yeah, yeah, but really good point, Celine. So, so just to capture what you've said here, Aileen, before we move on to the, the, the next sort of section, what you're saying here is that there are various approaches to intermittent fasting and the, the one an individual chooses will clearly depend on their health goals, but also their lifestyles as well. And it would appear to be beneficial for the likes of weight loss, metabolic health, um, for example, um, at reduced risk of type 2 diabetes, um, but also really um, helpful in increasing energy and vitality. So some great benefits. But it's also about caution as well around the approach for certain groups, um, thinking there of some of the ones that you've just said, alien sort of people, uh, women pregnant or maybe breastfeeding as well. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the people who struggle to gain weight or have a really low BMI. So that's fantastic information. So just thinking about that and, and moving on to the female runner, let's have a look at the at the pros and cons of fasting, specifically for the female runner. So um can we have a quick look at the research first that's that's been untaken undertaken in recent years? You know, you said that there is some that you have reviewed. What mm. what, what do they say? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's quite a bit of research out there. I'm not sure that it's particularly clear what the outcomes are, but, you know, I can take you through some of the things that I've read mm. about. Um, so I think that the, mostly the research has been focused on um, how combining physical training and fasting um, impacts on body composition changes and sports performance. And the 
um, research seems to be comparing untrained and trained subjects. So I'm thinking an untrained person is somebody who's a recreational uh, athlete or maybe somebody who doesn't do any exercise versus somebody who's, um, you know, doing a lot of um, endurance exercise. Uh, and there, there has been uh, some research around athletes competing while fasting during Ramadan, which is, you know, this when we talked about the religious um, links to fasting. And the reason that the studies were done um, on athletes uh, during Ramadan is that um, it, Ramadan actually happened during the 2012 Olympics and the 2014 Soccer World Cup. And they were interested to see how, I mean, these would be elite, elite athletes, how it affected them. Um, but it didn't really, it didn't really give us any clear, um, guidance because, um, because of the conflicting differences in different study designs. And, um, obviously the other thing was probably the, you know, with Ramadan, people are, are eating at night time and not during the day. Um, so that, that wasn't particularly helpful when I was, was reading, um, the research. To, it wasn't helpful to me particularly, but I did find a really interesting, um, review, um, which was published in 2020 in the Journal of Sports Medi Medicine. And, um, it was reviewing a hundred studies, um, that have all focused on this topic generally. And, and the, um, paper was written by, um, Zuhal. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, so the summary of what they found from these hundred studies was that when you fast, it alters the metabolism of protein, fats and glucose, which is probably what we already know. Um, and the, it also has an effect on hormonal responses. And that leads to a decrease in body weight and fat, both in trained and untrained subjects. So it, it works for athletes and for the mere mortals. So, you know, that's, to me, that means that we know, you know, we know that having a lean body will support running performance. So using fasting to help us get leaner is, is going to be beneficial. Um, they also suggested, and this is interesting, that if athletes train at lower intensities while fasting, um, that's going to be beneficial. Um, and also that they should ensure that they recover adequately to optimize performance in competitive events. So my interpretation of that is that, yeah, as a runner, you could use fasting as a tool to manage your body competition, uh, body composition. But when you're coming up to a race or a comp competition, you shouldn't be using fasting in the lead up to it. So. You know, I think that's good advice, really, isn't it? You can mm. sort of use as an intermittent tool, but not like 52 weeks of the year. Yeah. Um, so that gives us more flexibility in how to use it. Um, and the, the other finding was that, you know, there, there is conflicting data regarding the effects of fasting on glucose metabolism in highly trained athletes. And my sort of summary of that is, well, maybe that's because they've already got a lean body composition, you know, so the highly trained athletes are, are going to be in good shape already. And um, so they're, they're not really getting any additional benefits from fasting uh, because they're probably have already got into the shape they need to be in. Um, right. Yeah. So I don't know if you've got anything to add to that, Karen. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating. And what, I, what what's come to my mind here is, you know, you were saying about uh, using 
um, fasting potentially and training, but leading up to competition, it might not be advisable. And, you know, we often speak about nutrition period, periodization. It's almost like fasting periodization. So just using it, um, strategically during training and then it, it in competition. So that that's really interesting. Mm. So so that's great having a background of the um of the research that's out there into this subject. But what would you say are the pros of intermittent fasting for, for a runner? Yeah, well I think we've probably mentioned most of them already, but just to sort of summarize, um we know that fasting, if it's done correctly, is going to promote weight loss and optimize body composition, which I think is a goal for most runners. Um, it, it may help you have more energy and, and better recovery, which again will make everything so much better and more enjoyable. Um, and also it helps you, um, sort of train your body to switch from glucose, um, for energy to utilizing fat as fuel, which again might be supportive on these long endurance runs. So, yeah, I would think that's the sort of main benefits for a runner. Yeah, absolutely. And then sort of looking at the cons there, thinking particularly about a female runner in in general. Have you got any comments there, Aileen? Yeah, I mean, I think there are some potential problems and um, I think they can be managed by taking on an adapted approach to fasting and training. But the, the one that really strings, springs to mind um and it affects both men and women, but maybe it's, um, you know, hormonally it might affect women a bit more. It's thinking about the potential for stress and how, you know, the potential of low blood sugar might have an impact on cortisol levels. Um, so if we think about um, cortisol for a minute, so cortisol is a hormone, an adrenal hormone, and um, it helps us manage our energy by supporting blood sugar balance. So if you've not eaten for a few hours and your blood sugar drops too low, the adrenals will um, help produce cortisol to signal the production of glucose to bring blood sugar balance back into balance. So when you've had a fasting, a long fasting period overnight, um, and it's, you know, number of hours since you've had your last meal or snack, you will be in a faster state. Now, for some people, um, there's a possibility that your blood sugar may drop too low overnight. Um, or, you know, and it's one of those, it's a really difficult one because you will adapt and your body will get used to it. And you, you'll find over a period of time that, yeah, the body's blood sugar hasn't dropped too low, but you might find this at the beginning. Um, so that, and that might lead to, um, the cortisol being activated and bringing the glucose, you know, from the body stores to provide energy. And that can sometimes lead to your cortisol levels being higher than they need to be during the day. Um, so that's where, you know, I was talking earlier about people really going back to the basics and being in a balanced state before they start doing fasting. Um, you, you're sort of evening out the curve, really. <laughs> it just makes life a lot easier because then you, you're going into it in a, in a, a safe situation. Um, also, the, the people that do have blood sugar imbalances, um, usually the advice would be to eat within an hour of getting up. Um, now, I'm one of these people, actually. I, I, I am very sensitive from a blood sugar balance point of view. Um, but over time, I've adapted. And, you know, as I said earlier, I can be 
you know, 10, 11 o'clock before I need to eat. But that wasn't the case a few years ago. Um, so the, the symptoms that people would want to look out for um, to know if they had a blood sugar imbalance would be uh, dips in energy, um, feeling tired all the time, maybe getting a bit jittery if you go too long without eating, um, gaining weight around the middle, um, having a foggy brain. There's, there's lots of different um, signs and symptoms, but those are the sort of most common ones that people might identify with. Um, so then, you know, moving on from that, what might happen uh, from a female point of view, and it also happens from a male point of view, but it's just a bit more pronounced, I think, with women, is that um, having these higher cortisol levels have a knock-on effect with your um, production of uh, sex hormones. Um, and, and, and another thing to think about is what is going on, what can stimulate um, the cortisol levels. So things like drinking caffeine, having a high sugar or high carbohydrate food plan, skipping meals, and then being under stress, all of these things can um, stimulate cortisol. So these might be other reasons that your cortisol levels go high, and then they have an effect on your blood sugar balance. Um, so I mentioned there about the, the female sex hormones, uh, and the reason um, that that's implicated in all of this is that the body will always um, prioritize stress over anything else in, in the body. So, um, you know, if, if you're in a highly stressed situation, um, the body will pull all its resources into making adrenal hormones. And unfortunately, the, the sex hormones are made from the same materials that the stress hormones are made, and the body will always prioritize stress over that. So the knock-on effect is that everything's going into making the stress hormones. There's not enough to make into the female sex hormones. And the knock-on effect is that you might start to get in sort of disruptions in hormonal balance and everything that goes with that. So you know, periods get disrupted, fertility might not be as good as it could be, sex drive can be affected. And then, you know, for women who are going through the different life stages, um, they might not approach those in the best way, you know, perimenopause and menopause and other sort of hormonally driven health conditions. And that that's known as the cortisol steal. So it's cortisol stealing um, resources from the sex hormone pathways. Um, so I think that's the big female angle, Karen. Um, mm, is, there, yeah. is there anything that you would add to, to that? No, I th think what I would add to this is that, um, you know, yes, there are a lot of health benefits to intermittent fasting. However, from, from listening to what you've been saying, Aileen, for a lot of people, it may be worth actually working with a professional to, to work out if it's the right thing for you. Um, and if so, which approach is the right one for you? Because I think mm -hmm. people just go into these, um, these fasts without giving it a lot of thought, uh, on how it could impact positively or negatively on their health. And I think this kind of just highlights the potential, um, difficulties with 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 fasting so maybe considering uh working with somebody for for a period of time until it's introduced and and standardized and and it's working for you and then the individual could move on i think that's what i would i would add there so yeah. um 
and, and you were saying sort of regarding your clients, that's why you work, you know, a lot of them come to you and you work on that blood sugar balance first um, before embarking on the on the fasting. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really mm. good advice to get the basics in place, know that your blood sugar is in good good balance and that you're managing it. And then it's like, then what do we do to get it to the next the next level so that the fasting is actually working in a positive way and not in a negative way. Um, yeah. Mm. So just rounding up everything that you've said so far, Aileen, you know, it does look as though there, there has been quite a lot of research into this area in recent years, which is really great to know, actually. And um, you then sort of go on to to um, say a bit about how it can be supportive for a runner, especially when they're looking at body composition as a goal, because it encourages the body to utilize that fat as fuel that we speak about a lot um, in our work. Um, and you also explain the implications of stress from fasting um, really well, actually, and, and how it affects the cortisol levels and blood sugar balance. Um, um, but, but also, as well as saying how it can affect it, you kind of give people ideas of how this could be overcome. For example, um, reducing the, the overall stresses that, that are around or in their diet and lifestyle. For example, I'm thinking about the caffeine that you spoke about and that high sugar diet potentially. Um, um, or also thinking about for some people making sure that they just introduce some food if, within an hour of getting up just to ensure that that blood sugar is balanced. Okay, Aileen, so before we sort of move on to um, thinking about um, um, integrating fasting into the training plan, we're just going to take a short advert break. Okay, thanks, Karen. So this is the part of the the show where we tell you a little bit about what Karen and I do outside of the podcast. Um, so if you've been following us for a while, you'll know that we run uh, Runners Health Hub, and that's where uh, we offer a range of services to help you be a fitter, faster, and stronger runner. And within our Runners Health Hub, we have the Runners Nutrition Zone. Uh, which hosts our online program. And, and that's where we cover all these nutrition basics that we've been talking about today and, and help you get everything into balance so that you can then add uh, different strategies in to help your running. Um, so within that, we've got lots of short videos. Usually they're about 15 minutes long. We have recipes and downloads of uh, templates and shopping lists and things like that to help you. And, uh, and you also get invitations to live sessions where we help you put easy nutrition into practice. So if you're interested in finding out more, uh, check our website, which is runnershealthhub.com. That's hub.com. And, uh, yeah, have a look at the, uh, the program and see if you'd like to, to sign up. If you've got any questions, messages or drop us an email and um, we'd love to help you so uh, yeah check us out and hope you you find what you would enjoy doing there thank you Aileen so let's move on now to the last section of um, today's discussion and I'm sure people would love to know your ideas of how to synchronize that intermittent fasting into their running lives really so so what are some of your suggestions there Aileen 
Okay, so, um, you know, just to, everybody's probably fed up of me saying this, but it's really important to get your everyday nutrition uh, consistently good before before fasting. So healthy, good quality food, a balanced plate. Uh, you might want to start reducing your carbohydrate portion if you're wanting uh, weight loss. Um, I think that's one of the other elements that I've maybe not um, honed in enough on, um, but often with intermittent Fasting it is a low carbohydrate um, approach on the fasting days. So, um, you know, bear that in mind. Uh, making sure you've got good hydration and then limiting the stimulants like caffeine and alcohol and soft drinks. Um, so that, that's the starting point. Get everything in place and then think about um, how best to get the outcome that you want. And I always say to clients, you, you may have to make some compromises. And it is very much about designing a way of eating um, that is um, realistic and achievable. So don't try to create a window that's not going to work for you. Uh, and so my suggestion is that you, you decide whether you're going to build your food plan and your food timings around your run training or vice versa. So by that, what I mean is if you're somebody that knows I'm always, I, I always run in the morning or I always run at night and you're not prepared to change your running timings because, you know, it might be a lifestyle or a, a preference. Then you've got to build your food around your, your training plan. But if you're more flexible and you might think, actually, I need to build my food plan around, you know, my family life or my work life and I'll fit my running into that. Um, but you, you're going to have to go one way or the other, as at least as a starting point. And usually when I'm working with people, that's when I would sort of be able to give them advice on what the best way forward is. Um, I would always start with um, learning about time-restrictive eating first um, without thinking about calorie restriction. So if you do that first and you get into a routine um, that makes it so much easier when you want to do the next phase. And then um, the next phase would be uh, if you needed to think about calorie restrictions or alternate day fasting, then you can apply that. Um, so the, the main advice is start slowly, make adaptions and adjustments as you go on. You don't have to do everything all at once. Um, you know, it's all about what's going to be best for you. So again, it, your food, I always talk about foodie personalities. You know, there are some people that like lots of variety. They like to cook. They want 20 different recipes to, you know, choose what they're eating on the fast days. Other people like to keep it really simple, you know. So with some people, it's just we design a fasting day menu and, or maybe there's two. So if they're doing it on the five, two, they just use those every week. And then they get their variety on other days. So there's lots of different ways you can do it. Um, but it's all about personalization, really. Yeah, absolutely. As we know, Eileen, everything's mm. personalized, isn't it? Mm. And it's finding out what's right for you. And, you know, there's some great advice there. But I really like the fact that, you know, you say you don't have to do everything at once. Because like you say, I think people just go in and they just want everything. They want to do it all at once. And sometimes that's what can lead to it crashing. But but like you were saying earlier, sort of building it in slowly, finding out what works, maybe changing things if what you're introducing, first of all, doesn't work. So so there's some great advice there, Aileen. But even within that, I think there's a myriad of questions that could be asked. And we do get asked a lot of 
of questions a lot of the time around this subject. So what I've done sort of um, for the rest of the session is kind of formulated some frequently asked questions that we get. And I'm just wondering if you'd be open to answering some of those, Aileen, in a, in a quick fire Q&A. Yeah, yeah. Um, sort of I think that. that's a really good idea, Karen, because there is a lot of confusion out there. And I mean, I suppose in summary, it's like, you know, everything's slightly different for everybody. But, you know, there are some principles. So, yeah, some some good questions would be helpful, I think. Yeah, absolutely. OK, so here I go. The first one is, um, can I drink coffee when I'm fasting? Uh, yes and no, unfortunately. So... <laughs> <laughs> if you read the fasting diet books, if you read the fasting diet books, and I'm thinking of like, you know, I don't know, Michael Mosley and people like that, they'll say it's okay to drink black coffee. Um, but they, they do uh, offer some words of caution. And, and I would echo that is that coffee is stimulant. And remember what we said earlier about the adrenal hormones and stimulating cortisol and the potential to release fatty acids. So um, my advice would be avoid caffeine or drink decaf um, when you're fasting. Yeah, yeah, good compromise, I think, there. Okay, so the next one, is it okay to run in a fasted state? Uh, yes, um, it's okay to run um, in what would be described as short, easy, no-stress runs, um, ideally less than 60 minutes. And um, that can be really helpful uh, to help your body adapt to utilizing fat as fuel, uh, especially if you like doing early morning runs. So I'm an early morning runner and that works in fine for me. If I'm doing a, sh a short run, uh, I can do that and, um, and then eat later. So ideally, I would say schedule early morning running uh, before your fasting window or your eating window starts. Yeah, and that's the way when I was speaking about the 16-8 that I do, that tends to be how I, I work my running around that, that sort of eating window. Mm. Okay, so the next one, do I have to follow a perfect healthy diet every day when fasting? Um, well, my suggestion is you'll get better results if you follow a healthy food plan um, every day. Uh, but I would also say be realistic and choose to have treats occasionally because I think it helps sustain your food plan um, for, for the longer term. We always talk about the 80-20 approach. So being on plan 80% of the time and off plan 20% of the time. And that allows you to add in you know, days where you might be socializing, where you might give yourself a treat, or maybe the days that something doesn't quite go to plan and you don't get to choose the ideal foods because life gets in the way. So, um, yeah, 80% healthy would be great. Yeah, so it's about having the treat, but managing managing the treat and just having it occasionally. Okay, so how much food should I eat when I'm on a fasting window? Say, for example, if I'm on the 16 to 8. Mm. Um, yeah, well, I think it, it really depends on uh, what your body composition or your weight loss goals are. Um, so if, you, if you're already, you know, you've decided you're going to do the 5-2 or the fast 800, you will be eating less and that will be part of the food plan um, on those particular days. But if you're not overweight and you're using um, the time-restricted eating um, plan to promote fast loss or maybe just improve your performance, 
then I'd suggest you eat to your energy requirements. So that's what we talk about. You know, we talked about that earlier, knowing what you should be eating, adjusting it for how much um, training you're doing and don't intentionally under eat. You, you tend to, when you're following these plans, your, your appetite gets managed better and you probably will eat a little bit less and that. Well, that's positive. Um, but follow a healthy play, make sure your portions are controlled and adjust it to your training distances, but still eat within the time window that you've determined. And um, you should still get the benefits that you're, you're aiming for. Great. Thank you. Okay. The next question is, I'm worried that I'll feel ill or have no energy for running when following time-restricted eating. Yeah, I think this is everybody's biggest fear. They want to do it, but they're worried that, that it's going to affect their running. And um, so that the advice um, to give people there is if that's, you know, you, you might want to try this out. And I would aim to front load your your food, your calories, your energy intake to the earlier part of your eating window uh, and make that the active part of your day. And don't run um, in a fastest you know, don't run in a faster state if you're planning an hour longer than an, a run longer than an hour or a very intensive training or gym session. Um, so the idea is that you would aim to run inside your eating window. So if you plan to eat 10 till 6, but you don't normally run till 9 o'clock at night, that's not going to work for you. Um, but, you know, see, so that's where the, you know, planning aspect comes in. And I think also remember to build in your post-recovery fueling within your eating window. So that's another aspect of, you know, you're having to crunch a lot into these eating windows. You know, <laughs> it's not just working, eating and also training, but, you know, it can be done. And, you, and this is where if you don't, you don't necessarily have to do it every single day. But if you're going to do it on training days, those are the kind of things that might help you. Yeah, I think that's really good advice, a sort of a training within that eating window or or training just outside it at the beginning so that when you come back from your, your run, if it's sort of that less than an hour, you're then immediately going into your, your eating um, window so you can, you can refuel mm. afterwards. I think that's a really good idea. Okay, so what if I find I'm feeling weak when out on a run? Okay. Well, I think again, it's about being prepared. Um, so take something with you just in case. If you don't need it, you don't need it. That's great. Um, but if you do get some signs that you feel it's required, uh, I wouldn't push through. I would take the opportunity to refuel. Um, it takes practice. Um, you, you know, and, and as we said earlier, if you, if you're on a long endurance run, you should be taking food anyway and running within your eating window. Um, but just remember, it's not the end of the world. If something goes wrong, it's all about listening to your body, refueling, enjoying your run and giving your body time to adapt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's about being flexible, isn't it, within the style of eating. OK, so two more questions only left. Um, so the penultimate penultimate one what can i drink when on a fasting plan um, well the advice would be water uh, herbal teas are fine occasionally a decaf coffee and avoiding the sort of liquid sugary calories in soft drinks fruit juice and, and alcohol mm, yeah yeah sound advice there Aileen. and finally would it help if i skipped meals 
Uh, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> Please avoid skipping meals, uh, mainly because, um, you know, if you skip meals, you're probably going to disrupt your blood sugar balance. Um, and you can, I mean, again, I, I'm referring back to myself, but, you know, within, because I have a blood sugar imbalance, I, I still eat regularly within my eating window and that keeps, you know, keeps everything nice for me. Um, so if you, if you, find that a meal is delayed, you could still add a protein-rich snack in within your eating window, and that's going to um, help balance blood sugar. So, yeah, try to stick to a time meal plan if at all possible. Great. Excellent. Thanks, Celia. There's some great advice there for for um, people to think about as they move forward with with their own ideas around um, around fasting. So, and what I think the key take home from this is that intermittent fasting could fit into a running plan, um, but but just to remember to start slowly and practice before introducing it consistently. And also to remember to adapt it if you find you're struggling in training or you're experiencing low energy due, due to hunger. Don't go hungry. Um, and also think about the timing of your training around your eating window. And remember that you can train up to an hour in the fasted state, but ensure you time it around your eating window so you can eat straight afterwards. Um, and, and anything beyond that, then making sure it's within the eating window so that you, like you were just saying, Aileen, you can take food with you. And if you start to feel low in energy, you can, you can eat something. So Aileen, such great food for thought here, I think. And there are so many tips that you've, you've given people to take away. But I just wondered if I could ask you to highlight the key ones before we finish. Okay, so I'll, I'll get through these quickly because we're coming up to the hour. Um, so never run empty or fasted unless it's uh, less an easy run less than 60 minutes. Uh, try and plan your training runs within your eating window. Uh, remember to build in post-run recovery fueling. Um, always eat healthy foods, um, so avoid processed and junk food. Follow your plate balance uh, to make sure that your macronutrients and micronutrients are all there. Have a timed routine for meals and snacks within the eating window and uh, front load the calories. So have more at breakfast and lunch and less in the evenings and try to eat your food and your calories around the active part of the day. Um, listen to your body, uh, respond and adapt. Um, personalize your plan. Um, so that's really important. Build your training around your eating window or vice versa. And just one other thing that I just wanted to add is, um, in our runners health hub, somebody asked, would we shout out any good reading around this subject? So, um, one of my favorite books is the obesity code. Uh, and, um, that's really interesting reading. Um, it's by. I think it's Dr. Jason Fung, and I'll put a link on the um, the notes so that people can find it. And also the Michael Mosley books are really interesting, easy to read, lots of good recipes for fasting in there. Um, so those would be my two suggestions. Great. Thanks, Aileen, once again for a, a great conversation. And remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. 
Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. <music>